Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC on ABC5, a.k.a. UFC Jacksonville. I'm Paul Shaughnessy. Producer Megan's on the sticks. Cody Saftik is on the line. This episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by PrizePix. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. Before we even jumped on to the, you know, before we went live, you know, a little chat before when we were talking about Muslim Salakov never being Cody's friend. I mean, you were 11, 11 to 12 last week. Would have made the bookies cry, make up for a whole bunch of weeks. But credit where credit's due, Nicholas Dalby has really turned a corner in his career. I had I had Salakov by knockout, which was really never close. Frankly, Dalby with the head kick in round one, at the end of round one, was the closest to anybody getting a knockout in that fight. Didn't see that coming. Um, Got to start respecting that guy. So now that I say that, he's probably going to get like flatlined in the first round next time he goes out there. But guy kills people with pressure, and he's very, very well-rounded. Yeah, I can't complain about last week. 11 of 12 overall. Solikov, the only one lost. But uh, we hit four underdogs. And of those four underdogs, Paul Shaughnessy, the rare week where like, most of them cruised. Like We had Jared Cannonier over Marvin Vittori. Lost the first round, of course. But outside of that, looked pretty flawless throughout the next four. Um, Armin Petrosian. Armin Petrosian goes out there and breaks the prospect. Absolutely beats him up. Wins all three rounds, in my opinion. Uh, Kyung Ho Kang, Mr. Perfect, with the easy first-round club and sub. And then Hernandez beating Dennis Bondar, who ended up being a bum. So, yeah, the reads were good. The underdogs hit. Everything felt good. And now we just got to consecutively put these weeks together. So we've got a 14-fight offering this week. And I can't say I'm as ready as I'd like to be for it. But here we are all the same, and we'll break them down. I wish that they gave you know uh, i feel bad about like carlos hernandez not getting that finish it didn't affect me i had him uh just on the money line but like man like that's a finish like one call, second call, left. We'll call calling it, uh, that ahead, but like i, I think caposa posted the uh <laughs> the rampage jackson i forget who he does the slam to someone tried to put Cardarona. it yeah and he tries to put him into a triangle, and then he slams him. It's just like there's obvious head contact. Anytime you do that, there's going to be a risk of head contact. It's not really a headbutt. Like, I thought that was egregious. Like, it didn't affect me financially, but it's just like, man, if that's not a finish, like, who are you guys really working for? Was there a whole bunch of people with money on Hernandez inside the distance? Probably not. I think I'm. that's an unfounded uh, com- conspiracy theory that I'm thinking of there. But uh, it just seemed wrong. Like, that was a finish. He stole from the kid. And then because he doesn't get that finish, then he's not really up for any bonuses and stuff. Hopefully they took care of him because a hell of a performance from Carlos Hernandez. Yeah, completely agreed, man. It's nice to see the young kid get paid. So, uh, yeah, I mean, go out there, get the win. Flawless victory. Like, Bondar actually did look a little bit better than I expected him to. Um, but all the same, it's like the kid, his his general abilities were better than Bondar's one-dimensional game plan. So, good to see. Hopefully, we can hit a few more of those short underdogs this week because I like a couple of them here and there. All right, let's get into it. We got Ilya Tupuria taking on Josh Emmett in the main event. Tupuria minus three twenty-five favorite. Emmett can be had for plus two sixty-five. I mean, when you first look at this line, you're kind of like, it's kind of jarring, you know. I'm a big Ilya Tupuria fan. He was like minus one fifty against Bryce Mitchell, but frankly, he looked like he was minus one thousand 
against Bryce Mitchell. He absolutely killed him from pillar to post. This is a step up in competition. This is a guy who has fought for the belt in Josh Emmett that he's taking on. I generally, like, I, I'm going to be picking Topuria to win here. I mean, the guy's boxing is on point. He's got great jujitsu. The only question mark I think that we have for him is maybe slight inability to take damage. I mean, that's not even really fair. It's like, uh, he, he's been dropped before. That's like the only blemish that we see in this like 13 and 0 prospect in Ilya Topuria. It's like maybe he could be like slightly chinny at 155 on a fight he took on short notice, like against Jai Herbert. That's the only question mark. And my God, did he come back and cause damage after he got dropped in that fight? So it's like that's the only real blemish that you can have on this guy. I think the line is relatively pretty accurate here at minus 325 like if they fought 10 times he probably wins seven to eight um i think he outclasses emmett in a whole bunch of departments i'll be picking them but it's not really one that i'm gonna be like tying myself to financially what about you yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and agree. There's a couple question marks that I have for Ilya Tapuri. As you mentioned, while well, we've seen him get rocked by Jai Herbert the one time. Jai Herbert, not great, but big, tall boy. When he lands a kick upside your head, you know, it's going to do some damage. So, yeah, maybe that's like that one question mark. But for me, I, the, my secondary question mark is this is a five-round fight. We just really haven't seen him deep into five rounds. His UFC debut, which is relatively short notice against Yusuf Zalal, he looks really good for the first two rounds. The third round, he actually tires out, which is understandable because it's his UFC debut. He's on short notice. And it was a few years ago at this point. So outside of that, everything's kind of just been over quickly. He knocks out Damon Jackson in the first round. He knocks out Ryan Hall in the first round. He knocks out Jai Herbert in the second round. Didn't look like he was slowing down on that one, by the way. Knocks him out in the second round. And then his last fight with Bryce Mitchell, he just absolutely dominates him. Again, does not look like he's dasting out anytime soon in that fight. But these fights are done in the second round. So now you've got to potentially see him go to a third round. You might have to see him go to a fourth and a fifth round for the first time. So 26 years old, he's still very young. He's still very green. And then when you think about that list of victims that I just read out, Damon Jackson, Ryan Hall, uh, it's a, this is a jump up in competition. Now, the last one over Bryce Mitchell, most significant victory and a flawless victory. It looked absolutely good. But if you want to play the devil's advocate, Maybe Bryce was sick because he looked awful. Bryce Mitchell looked el terrible. And then he goes ahead and blames it on the fact that he had flu and had been sick and leading up to it. And maybe it does make sense considering the performance. But even in that performance, it's Bryce Mitchell can't get the takedowns. And because he can't get his grappling going, he's forced to stand with Ilya Taporio, which obviously he can't do. By the numbers, Taporio only outstruck him like 40 to 36 or something. He landed the knockdown and he eventually choked him out in the second round. Um, so wrestling looked good in that fight grappling looked tremendous in that fight power has always looked good in that fight but not necessarily a ton of volume so when i think about how he matches up with josh emmett well josh emmett has fought five rounds before josh emmett has gone later into these fights his fight with calvin cater was an absolute war um of a five-round fight which he lands over 100 significant strikes you know he's been in those waters before his fight with shane burgo is not a five-round fight but again lands 126 significant strikes so he can go pace he can go volume and he can go into the fifth round if you want to talk about taporia's power i mean nothing compares to emmett's power he's got legendary ability to go out there and knock guys out and even his last fight with yeah rodriguez loses but in the first round, my oh my, did he ever have Rodriguez hurt? And uh, that's the kind of things that he can do. So he can play that low volume game and just rely on those big, big power shots. Or he can also turn up the heat down the stretch. So I actually kind of think I like this one better from a live betting standpoint. I think Ilya Tapuria, who I want to make my official pick, I just, we don't know enough yet. 
I would rather him fight Josh Emmett and potentially lose around, maybe drop around early. And then can you take a 38-year-old Josh Emmett late? Does it look live like his cardio is going to hold up? If so, technical boxing, you know, a ground game. If he's able to hurt Emmett, drop him to the ground, capitalize on that. You're seeing um, Emmett just come off a submission loss to Riera Rodriguez. Deporia probably able to do the same thing if he can hurt him first. All these things make me think that Ilya Deporio eventually gets the win. You always say I'm an ageist. Part of that's coming back into my mind. 12 years younger, you know, getting into the prime of his career. Big power, great submissions. Why do I want to go against Ilya Deporio? But I look at this money line. I don't like it. you got the experience. You've got uh, the proven ability. You've got all that stuff from Josh Emmett and a good plus money line, too. So we took an underdog main event last week. Don't think I'm going to get there this week. I'm going to go Ilya Teporia, but I think I might possibly be buying into the hype. Yeah, it was only like three years ago, or less than three years ago now that Teporia made his debut against Yusuf Zalal. I had a plus 160 ticket on him. So it kind of shows you. So <laughs> Those like are the days. Money is in the prelims. It's in the, it's in the unknown a lot of the times. It's like now that he's shown us his true worth and what he's, what he's capable of, it's like, you know they're they're a lot more careful about uh, slipping up on a line. You you ain't, you ain't getting Topuria plus one sixty really against many people. Particularly if he blows through Emmett, it's like he's he's in line for a title shot. We'll just say that. Uh, moving on down, we've got Amanda Hebus taking on Macy Barber minus two hundred for Hebus plus one seventy for Macy Barber. Who you got? This is going to end up being way greasier than it needs to be. I'm sure of it. And maybe Pat Mayo is going to spring one out with the, uh, the plus money hit here on Macy Barber. But yeah, I got to go with Hebus, man. If we're looking at a stylistical approach, she's got the style, she's got the the wrestling, and she's got the grappling to just neutralize Barber and probably win this fight. When I look at Hebus, here's somebody that's still only 29, making a lot of improvements, but a career martial artist, right? Comes to the UFC, kind of gets... I wouldn't say fed to the wolves early, but fought some decent enough competition. The one lost to Marina Rodriguez. She lost, uh, won the first round, got knocked out in the second. And since then, Paul, it's been a lot of grappling. Yeah, she can strike a little bit, but why bother striking if you can get your grappling going? And you look at her last three fights in particular, Verna Jandaroba. Verna Jandaroba actually knocked her down. So this goes back to the fact that she shouldn't probably be striking for these long periods of time. And Macy Barber's rugged enough and has some good elbows in the clinch. Don't try to strike with her on the feet for parts of these rounds just get the wrestling going but she did take verna down and she was able to out grapple her which i think is a feather in their cap her fight with caitlin jukagian who's probably the number two girl in the world and kind of been that number two number three slot for a long time proven veteran again two takedowns sorry three takedowns in that fight controlled some of the action ends up losing a split decision in a spot that i didn't think she had much of a chance prove she can get her wrestling going she can cut off the cage she's very fast she's versatile and then her last fight with viviana arroyo much of the same two takedowns controls her 98 significant strikes um landed pretty good performance of hebus that i think you continuously see her getting better and a lot of that that wrestling and that grappling when i look at macy barber she should be there you look at hebus as, as uh you know a young prospect barber's 25 barber's young barber's still improving a lot but barber almost seems to me like she's plateaued a little bit like here's a girl that came from ryan schultz's camp in colorado when she first started ryan lion schultz the man from ifl champ really hard-nosed wrestler one of these Portland, Oregon, hard-nosed grinder type guys. And that was kind of her early game is that she could also wrestle. She could also grapple. But at some point, she separated herself from Ryan Schultz. She started working a lot on her striking. She's bounced from a couple camps here and there. She's gotten a lot of different looks, used a lot of different coaches. And the wrestling just hasn't kept up. 
almost all of her fights, you know, the Roxanne Montefiore fight, blame it on a blown out knee, but she got to grapple and out wrestled by Roxanne Montefiore. Bad look. Her fight with Miranda Maverick, robbery win. But again, Miranda Maverick, who has proven to us that she's really not that good of a grappler, was able to take her back, was able to neutralize her, was able to control those positions. Montana De La Rosa took her down. Jessica I took her down. And then their last fight against Andrea Lee, a, a girl who's historically largely struggled in the wrestling department. She took her down five times mm -hmm. and took her down effortlessly, gassed out, gassed out, and still took her down by muscling her around. So if you're just looking at it trend-wise, it's like Macy Barber, yeah, is rugged. She got good cardio because she's in Colorado. She's rugged. She throws those elbows. She's scrappy. She wants to fight. She gave Alexa Grosso a tough fight and won the third round against her. So, like, there's something there. She's just giving up all sorts of takedowns. It's not improving. It's not getting any better. So as she continues to climb up the mountain, she's going to run into those problems. And if that's happening against Andrea Lee in your last fight, don't know that there's enough time to switch it up that you're all of a sudden going to stuff Hebus or explode back up to your feet and put on some great clinic. So <laughs> the plus money on Barbara actually does look tempting. I'm not going to lie, but I, I just can't get there. Can't get there. Got to go Amanda Hebus to take her down. Yeah, I'll pick I'll pick Hebus, and it really kind of comes down to the Andrea Lee five takedowns like if Hebus is able to take you down there she's got much better jujitsu when she gets you down there she could put you in a lot Cardio of trouble too. even if it's just positionally um probably do a better job of holding you down um in those positions uh I don't think minus 200 Hebus is something I'm going to get to from a betting perspective but for the purpose of this show I will join you in picking her uh moving on down we've got Justin Taffa taking on Austin Lane Justin Taffa, minus 185 favorite. Austin Lane can be had for plus 160. Low-level low heavyweights, buddy. The I'm epitome of volatility. I mean, yeah, Justin Taffa's coming off of two straight wins here. But they're against Harry Hunsucker, which is basically the absolute layup. Parker Porter knocking him out in the first pair in a minute is uh is not not too bad for you know the lower tier of the heavyweight division and austin lane will probably be most remembered for being on contender series and getting knocked out by greg hardy um in about a minute um i like taffa but i mean expect expect craziness here like i i don't i really struggle at any time for low level heavyweights to ever get to a minus 185 both of these guys are big I believe Austin Lane like played football in the Jacksonville area, so maybe he'll have a little bit of like fan, a little bit of like you know, be built up a little bit by the fan Whoa, base. He, he got drafted in the fifth round by the Jacksonville Jaguars, yeah, buddy. I, I'm not too. I'm more familiar with him getting knocked out by Greg Hardy than I am his yeah. NFL career. If I'm going to be completely, I'm sure you're also more familiar with Greg Hardy's NFL career than you were with Austin Lane's NFL career. It bear that is also very true. Um, I, I like Taffa. I think Taffa's. Much more skilled all the way around. I expect someone to die. I expect someone to die early in this fight. And it's one of those, like, it's just, it's high-level volatility. Both of these guys are big guys, heavy hitters, could finish each other in the first round. We've seen both of them get finished pretty early. Yeah, I mean, want, um, well, in fairness to Tafa, what? I guess Jorgen Castro knocked him out in the first round. That's not but it. he ran right into it head first with his I hands. Know, but all, this now, guy, Jorgen's a bum. Don't get me wrong. Jorgen is a bum, especially lately. Mm. But uh, but I mean, if you're going to give a human being an unchecked shot right across the chin, come on. 
Come on. But he, I mean, he also got outstruck 121 to 74 against Jared Vanderaal. Like this is yeah, these are all bad looks. Those are the those are the kind of reasons why it's like I think he's more skilled. I haven't really seen much from Austin Lane since like I watched like a couple of those regional level shows and it's just like he's fighting really low level of competition. Like Tafa is going to be a massive step up from in this spot. Do I want to attach myself to minus 185? No, I'll pick him. But uh, I think there's 14 fights on this card. You know me. I'm not picking or not betting every single fight. Uh, this is not one, again, that I really see myself getting attached to unless, you know, something jumps out on the totals market or something over the course of the week. But Taffa will be the pick. Yeah, dude, I think if, if you can find a decent total on this, it's not going to go more than one and a half, I wouldn't think. Both guys' history is that they're both strikers. They're both heavy set guys in terms of weight and uh, big old heavyweights. And they're going to throw down. They like to get that first-round knockout. So probably looking to attack it from a from a under standpoint for sure. But the I don't know. I don't think the price will be there just because everyone's expecting Minus the same thing to happen. Yeah, everyone's expecting. Well, which is actually not a terrible price. So the under, about it. under one and a half. Yeah, under one and a half, which I don't typically like betting under one and a half. But all the same, Austin Lane, his last like six fights have all ended in the very first round. So if you're looking at him, that's how he ends it. And then I suppose in Toffa's case, yeah, his last two wins, probably the best that he's looked against low-level guys, and both of them are first-round knockouts. So this is a fight that probably ends in the first round, minus 210 and under one and a half, not a terrible price. And if you can get it specifically for a ends in the first round, but why not just take Toffa or take Toffa in the first round if that's how you think it's going to go? And by the way, like you said, middling heavyweights, both bangers. Do you want to be taking this 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 kind of price tag on either side? Like, Well, on either side, yeah, Austin Lane's the plus money. You would feel better about it. But I do think Toffa's going to win, like you said. He debuts in the UFC. He's pretty young, actually. But he debuts in the UFC against Jorgen Castro. And inexplicably, because I don't know why, it's on the main card of Israel Adesanya versus Robert Whitaker, a pay-per-view main card. This guy debuts, undefeated, 3-0, looks awful, and loses to Jorgen DeCastro. And then, again, inexplicably, because I can't tell you how, his very next fight is on a pay-per-view main card for John Jones versus Dominic Reyes against Juan Adams, which he did win by first-round knockout. Um, how did he end up on back-to-back pay-per-views? I don't know. But his brother, Junior Taffa, is a glory kickboxer, a former decorated champion from the New Zealand area. He's got a lot of top-level training partners. he got a lot of guys that are in the UFC, so maybe they're talking to Uncle Dana for him, but still, two fights in the pay-per-view, there's some type of expectation for him. Now, the Vandera fight, he looked absolutely awful. And the Carlos Felipe fight, to a lesser degree, he looked pretty awful. Knocks out Harry Hunsucker, who cares? But I think he takes a year and a half off between Harry Hunsucker and Parker Porter. And again, he's still pretty young. He's only 29, which at heavyweight, is very, very young. He's giving up six inches in height to Austin Lane, which is not going to be good. But his brother's 6'3". His brother's a decorated kickboxing champion. Like, I think he'll be okay fighting the taller guy. I think he'll be able to get it to the inside. I think he'll be able to utilize his leg kicks. I think he is the tougher, more durable guy. And I think when he came back against Parker Porter, looked really good on the scales. And then you didn't get to see him for a long time, but goes out and gets a significant enough win by knocking out Porter in the first round like that. So I, I would say that he's still on the up and up. Lane, meanwhile, he's 35 years old. So yeah, he's one of these explosive athletic NFL guys, but so far none of these explosive athletic NFL guys have really panned out. Greg Hardy himself. You mentioned that he's most famous for losing to Greg Hardy, which he is. He lost on the contender series. It was an NFL guy versus an NFL guy. And then he goes out to lose his very next fight to Frank Tate, who was five and five at the time by first round knockout. His other loss of his career, Vernon Lewis, again by first round knockout. But I will admit he did turn the corner after that. He's an explosive guy. 
He's figured out how to sit down on his punches. And when you look how he moves physically in that initial fight on the contender series versus Greg Hardy, as opposed to how he moves now, he's an athletic guy that clearly has been training and clearly been getting better and clearly making improvements. So the athletic advantage goes towards Lane. Both of them can absolutely crack. And he may have a chance of beating Toffa to the punch. But I think Toffa is just tougher, more durable, has the experience, has a number of fights in the UFC, has fought on a couple pay-per-view main cards already at this point. And, uh, and again, 29 years old, still making improvements. So I think he will win. It's just dangerous proposition when you know both guys are massive set dudes throwing down in the center of the cage. And I'm picking the guy that's six foot, taking on the six, six of a mammoth of a man. Tough proposition, right? But again, mm. I think that he's going to be comfortable and kick. If I thought that Lane's grappling had vastly improved and he would take down Toffa or spam uh, cage control, mm, I don't think I'd like this one all that much. But if they're just going to stand and bang, I think he'll be okay. I think I think Justin Toff will be able to get the better of him eventually. Man, yeah, that uh, that loss to Frank Tate just looks bad. Looks bad. He's just it's you know, kill people, or be killed. People He's like going to clip you and you go down and you clip him and he goes down. Yeah, I mean, people like trashing my guy Chase Sherman. Chase Sherman knocked that guy out in the first round. Not very good. I mean, Tafla won. Tafla round one is plus 150. It's like, if I was forced to make a bet on this, I don't hate that, to be perfectly honest. At least we know that, like, Tafla, outside of the Oregon DeCastro fight, has been able to take punishment, has been able to take damage. It's like, you look through Austin Lane's career, it's just like, the guy gets killed quite a bit. Um, Yeah, Tafla won. I don't love it, but, like, it's not horrible, Tafla round one Tafa round one KO had been like plus 200 and that's been bet down because people are like this ain't ending a sub somebody's getting knocked out um so I'd probably just take the the flat round one but it's early in the week other places are going to open props maybe I'll find something um as we get closer to Saturday's fights uh moving on down we got Gabriel Santos taking on David Onama minus 230 for Santos plus 200 for Onama Gabriel Santos coming off of Pretty impressive underdog performance against Lerone Murphy. I think he kind of surprised a lot of people. Grappling was on point. Um, able to secure five takedowns in that fight. Striking looked very, very good. But it wasn't so long ago that, you know, David Onama seemed like, you know, outside of the Mason Jones fight, which he took on sh- short notice, he was kind of like a rising little uh, young prospect, or not young, but a prospect in this division. And, it seems like since the Landwehr fight, which, I mean, what a war, particularly round one. Landwehr was just certified tough, able to survive. Um, and, you know, beat him up later as the fight went down. Uh, that, you know, the shine is a little bit off of him at this point. And, uh, I mean, that fight actually kind of drew a lot of the attention towards the whole Kraus uh, situation, I feel like, as well. Uh, but yeah, he's back. Minus two thirty for Santos. I like. I loved Santos in his debut, and I think that was. Uh, I think it was a tougher fight, frankly, that he had uh, against Lerone Murphy. But uh, Santos' decision is kind of interesting to me. If, if nothing else, David Onama has shown that he's incredibly, uh, incredibly durable. I do have questions that if we get to the ground, if if Santos is able to grab his back, is he able to sink in a rear naked choke, which he has like four or five of them on his, on his record there. But I don't know. I I feel like it's, that would be the, the, the approach I would have here. I expect 
a very, very competitive fight, at least when they're standing on the feet. But the real difference in this fight is going to come down to the takedowns. Onama hasn't shown much of an ability to defend them. Santos pulled off five against a higher level of competition in his UFC debut on prize picks. Uh, Santos's takedowns is lined at three. I don't usually like threes. There's obviously only three rounds, but I expect Santos, um, if this goes 15 minutes, I expect this to go over that. Um, so don't mind that. But yeah, Santos' decision is a, is a bet I'm considering. What's your take here? Yeah, so I think you actually nailed it on both sides for me. I'd like Santos. I like Santos by decision because I respect Onama's durability. And Santos' three takedowns looks okay considering Santos in his last fight against Lerone Murphy, who I think is a better defensive wrestler than David Onama. He had scored five, sure, but he scored three in the very first round alone. And in the first round, he took him down and let him up all three times. It wasn't as if Lerone Murphy was exploding back up. It was Santos just being like, okay, get back up. Let's swing some more. So, yeah, he's probably one of these guys that's not looking just to neutralize you as much as he's looking to put on a show and have some fun. But, yeah, two and a half, I think I would rather him score three and I win, not three as a push, right? Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind but um yeah i think santos is one of the rare guys that loses a fight and his stock just incredibly skyrockets because he should have won that fight i think most people scored the first two rounds for him or at least they should have scored the first two rounds from him but he took a fight right. in the uk against Lerone murphy okay so he wasn't going to win on the on the scorecards anyways he took the fight on three days notice replacing nathaniel woods so Lerone murphy versus nathaniel woods is going to be a big banger in the uk and all uk affair and then in comes Santos on three days' notice. He's 25 years old at the time, and he just jumping into the fire like that. So, yeah, I will admit I had a bunch on Lerone Murphy, and I'm glad that the shitty decision went Lerone Murphy's way. But this kid is super explosive, man. The first round, he just comes at him with everything he's got. He scores the three takedowns. He outstrikes him. He throws a flying knee, clubbing overhand right. Everything is a power shot. I know this kid's going to gas out 100% because – you can't fight at this pace, and he took the fight on three days' notice against a tough guy. Second round, I thought Murphy was winning. Again, Santos just explodes into a massive takedown, dumps him, takes his back, body triangle, fishes for the choke, nasty ground game, solid striking, good durability. The third round, finally, finally the kid looks tired. There's two minutes left on the clock. He picks Murphy up and absolutely dumps him. Like, massive slam would take a whole bunch of energy and again is right on top of him until the bell like i think that there's something you can like about him so he's 26 still he's super young he's definitely going to be making those improvements and now he's got his ufc debut out of the way he's got a full camp in store for him and you're going to see you know him come out there and do that so an onama onama is an excellent striker but outside of the mason jones fight it's not like he throws up a sickening amount of numbers it's not like he's got a ton of volume he's really looking to counter and pick up those good spots so i think that against that explosive nature of an evolution tau guy is going to be tough right he's trained by a group of guys that are known for offbeat timing and big strikes a lot of overhand stuff i think that's going to keep him honest long enough the takedowns to start materialing for Gabriel Santos. The way he was able to toss around Lerone Murphy, a natural 55er who's fought in some legitimate grapplers before and given a good account of himself, yeah, I think he's going to have a lot of success against David Onama. And even his striking, as you know, as crazy as it is, the constant pace, the constant in-your-face pressure, Onama broke against the pressure and the tenacity of Nate Landwehr his last time out. Now he's taking on a kid who's arguably a better wrestler and who's going to stay in his face just as much, put that heat on him, so... I do, again, and I've probably been saying this in a bunch of the fights, I don't like the price tag here. I think Onama is good, but uh, I think I'm buying the hype again on the Santos kid. Even though he's 0-1 in the UFC, I saw a lot of good stuff, and I'm expecting some even better stuff. So, 
I'm not the guy to ask about this fight. James Krause is the guy to ask about this fight, but he ain't talking to nobody lately. So uh, if you want my opinion, I think Gabriel Santos by decision. And I will say, because I was saying that Gabriel Santos won in my breakdown there. Because he I did. thought he won the first two rounds. Because he did. Because he did win, Cody. That was a, that was a robbery. <laughs> that was a straight up robbery. In my mind's eye, he won, won that fight. Uh, when it went to decision, I was convinced that he was going to get the decision, and it was uh, yeah, split twenty nine twenty eight the opposite way. <laughs> it, it was greasy, and it was in the UK, right? Mm. I believe so. It was. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. you know, you know, it was going to be a bad cooking. rub fighting. The local guy. Just just some bangers and mash out there. Gross. Santos won. Santos 2928. Um, you, you know this? Here's another last thing we'll move on here. But the Santos kid. So let's say they do score that fight properly. Now he won his UFC debut against a really tough, legit gatekeeper top 15 type guy on three days notice. Runs his undefeated record. Like, he's still an undefeated good-looking prospect. Still only 26. And he's also got a win uh, in 2020 over this Elvis Brenner, who just won against Zuber Tuhugov in the mm -hmm. UFC. So, like, he's got good wins. He's only going to be getting better. And David O'Nama presents a tough fight. But not only are we talking about Nate Landwehr took him down three times. Like, even in his fight with Mason Jones, which is probably the best yeah. he's looked. Uh, yeah, he gets taken down eight times. So, that's a problem versus a guy that can take you down. But not only that, when you look back at Santos's last fight, Lerone Murphy, it's not just the takedown. It's his ability to transition to the back and get the body triangle. Pretty nasty stuff, man. So hopefully I'm not wrong on this one because I'm definitely uh, uh, hyping the kid up. And you can see things going south, but hopefully this ain't the week. All right. We got Brendan Allen taking on Bruno Silva. Minus 190 for Allen, plus 160 for Silva. Who do you like here? Yes, this is another tough one because it's like a who's going to show up kind of situation. When Bruno Silva, the guy is an absolute murderous power puncher. And you've seen him on the regional scene. You've seen him in the UFC. When he looks at his absolute best, like he's got a ton of power and he's definitely a good striker. His wins in Russia, Gennady Kovalev, Alexander Slomenko, Artem Frolov, all credible guys. And he does dusts all of them. Big, long. Sorry, not long. He's like, I got that, that ability to compact a lot of power and get into the inside. Knocks out well in determined debut. Andrew Sanchez fight. He lost the first two rounds, looked like crap, but knocked him out in the third round. Looks good on paper, but Andrew Sanchez is prone to those third round comebacks. Didn't look good in the grappling. Didn't look like he had much of a sense of urgency, but we know he's got the huge power. Same power. He knocks out um, Jordan Wright. Got rocked early by Jordan Wright for the record, but he's able to turn around and knock him out. Goes the distance to Alex Pereira. That's crazy, right? Being able to strike. Landed some huge shots against Alex Pereira. Great account of himself. And then the very next fight against Jeremy Shark. Like, awful. Because, again, if you don't just give them that straight striking battle, if you mix in some grappling, if you mix in the takedowns, I think that's how you get them vulnerable. Mirshard just survives a bad first round, is able to start fatiguing him, is able to start taking him in some deeper waters, forces some of those interactions, and then gets him down the third round, catches him in a guillotine choke. I thought he looked tired. I thought he looked lethargic. I did not think he looked good whatsoever in that fight. But I did pick him against Brad Tavares because he's an underdog. And at plus money, the way the guy bangs, and Brad Tavares is not going to take him down. Look, look, why not? So he catches him. But those are the type of spots that I wouldn't mind backing him at plus money if he's just going to bang. Brandon Allen, meanwhile, sometimes, sometimes he likes to bang. He tried to bang with Sean Strickland. He tried to bang with action man Chris Curtis. When he stands in the pocket a little bit too long, his chin, his durability, not good enough to do that against Bruno. But... He's shown recently that he's evolving. He's making a lot of improvements, and it's the grappling, it's the pace, it's the his ability to force those takedowns and then get to work with the submissions, right? Really drawn his opponents, tire them out. I think that would be the key here. So 
he trains with a lot of good strikers and maybe they're in his ear. Hey man, you do good against us. You could do good against Bruno. But like, if he just minds his P's and Q's forces up against the cage, gets this thing to the ground, he's going to be able to zap him, take some of that power away, do the same thing that Andrew Sanchez could have done or do the same thing that Mirashart did and catch him in the third round. But I think Brendan Allen's grappling would just be the key to victory. And I like betting grapplers over strikers most of the time. So now, we talked about it last week with Pat Sabatini. I was like, this guy might just get diced. And here we get the same feeling. But in the end, I pulled the trigger on putting Sabatini on the second line. And I know some people ask, like, man, you were hesitant on him on the show. Why would you end up going higher up on him? And it's like, because even if he is just a mediocre wrestler, a mediocre wrestler was going to be good enough to get Almeida to the ground. And once they were on the ground, the guy was just a really good grappler. Sabatini's a really good grappler. Alan's the same way. I'm not convinced he is a great wrestler by any stretch. But his mediocre wrestling, if that's all it is, Probably still good enough to get Bruno down. And when he gets to the ground, he's got legitimate grappling. That's where he'll make him pay. Hopefully he looks just like Sabatini, forces him to the ground, passes, has his way with him. Yeah, I mean, it really comes down, like, I can definitely, like, Allen seems kind of risky because we've seen Bruno's power. We've seen his mm-hmm. ability on the feed. He can knock out anybody at any given time. But, yeah, the one chink in his armor is, is I think, that grappling ability. Um, and if Allen does come out here, shoots takedowns early, takes away a lot of that da- or a, a lot of the most damaging shots, which are going to happen in the first five minutes from Bruno Silva. I think he can make this fight very, very easy on himself because he's improving. I, I think like he can he could totally hang on the feet here. He just makes the fight a lot more dangerous for himself. Because he's been improving, because he's got a good team behind him, I'm going to side with the fact that Brendan Allen is going to come out here. He's going to force it up against the cage. He's going to make maybe the first five, six, seven minutes ugly in this fight. Don't just hang out at range and exchange and catch a W by doing it. Maybe he takes him to the ground. And I think if he takes him to the ground, he's going to have a massive advantage uh, in jiu-jitsu. Allen by submission. What is that? That would be... Maybe kind of in, nah. It's not even. It's not even that good. It's like plus one six. I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. You'd have that, to get that's what they're that, one they're expecting. They're, they're expecting. Not. They're expecting that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, don't don't mind that. Um, but yeah, I don't think I'll be getting to that prop. But yeah, Allen will be the pick. But yeah, one of the one of those picks that I could totally see it just blowing up in my face and people who want to go down the. Yeah, Silva round one, Silva KO one, which is like absurdly long. I'm not going to fault you for that either. Uh, Moving on down, we got Neil Magny taking on Phil Rowe. Minus 170 for Neil Magny, plus 150 for Phil Rowe. Who you got? Yeah, this is the first time I've ever seen Neil Magny not have a reach advantage over somebody. So it'd be a funny fight uh, to see at the weigh-ins and to see how it plays out, if that plays out to anybody's benefit at all. But yeah, uh, this is an interesting fight. Magny at 35 years old, like he's going to fall into that gatekeeper role. And I think Phil Rowe's someone that needs, certainly needs to beat some like credible veterans before anybody thinks that the hype on him is, you know, warranted the hype back on him because he was a busted prospect a couple of years ago, but now he's getting some wins under his belt. So it makes sense to match him up against a guy like Neil Magny. The way I see this one playing is that Phil Rowe, BJJ black belt, right? Trains with some great guys like, uh, Rodolfo Vieira, he trains with Jacques Ray Souza. He spent a lot of time with some, you know, some very high-level BJJ black belts over in Orlando. He himself, I wouldn't call him high level, but he's a BJJ black belt. So his grappling's okay. And it's his decent cardio, is his ability to just push a pace against these guys that just gas out halfway down the stretch. He throws 10 punch combinations if need be. He lets his hands go. He makes it ugly and he ends up catching them down the stretch. His fight with Orion Koski. 
um, or Orion Koski, a terrible fighter for the record, but loses the first round, which is not a great sign, gets taken down, again, not a great sign, comes down the stretch because of his terrible cardio. Jason Witt, Jason Witt takes him down four times, easily, like nothing, out controlling him, like nothing. Jason Witt can't take a punch, catches him in the second round. Nico Price, Nico Price can take a punch. Nico Price was thrown down, he outstruck him 111 to 63. But in the end, Philip Rowe, he ends up catching him. So I got to give him his kudos, but go back to the wrestling. Go back to the takedowns. This guy's takedowns aren't very good, and that length is not to his advantage. Neil Magny, he knows the same stuff. He wants to wrestle. He wants to grapple. And when they give him these power wrestler guys, when they give him these Gilbert Burns's or these Michael Chiesa's, he just can't. Because when you're that tall, you're not great at exploding off your back. Rowe's the same way. Magny's a better wrestler than Rowe. He's not better wrestler than some of those other guys, those short, stocky, compact guys. But in terms of hand fighting, in terms of in the clinch, in terms of over-unders, in terms of getting the fight to the ground, I just feel like Neil Magny's a better wrestler all around. Exploit that part of Philip Rowe's game, which he's capable of doing. High ring IQ, always fought with the veteran savviness to him. I think he's able to go do that. If he gets drawn into these striking battles, not the end of the world. Neil Magny is technically a better kickboxer. He throws straighter. He's got a better jab. He's got a good body kick. But Philip Rowe just throws like a madman. He's going to swarm him with six or seven at a time. They're going to come over. They're going to come under. They're going to come from everywhere. And he's going to have a little bit of a power advantage over Neil Magny. So Neil does not want to strike for the whole time. But I think he can use his technical at-range kickboxing, pick his shots here and there, then get those takedowns. Those takedowns lead you to winning this fight. So I'll take Magny. I'm taking Magny by decision. I don't think he's going to fight with like a sense of I need the finish. I think he's going to fight with a sense of I need to control these positions, not take a whole lot of damage, shut this guy down and neutralize him. So Magny by decision. Yeah, first bet I made this week was Magny at minus 143. Um, I agree with most, like pretty much all the same points. Magny's just, he's been in there so much. He's such a generalist. And yeah, when he is outmatched in the grappling department is when he's struggled the most in the UFC. Um, but he's been in there with so many great guys at this point. And the wrestling should be a, a significant advantage. And because I like betting on a guy like this, it's like, cause I know he's going like, he's going to quickly attack what he feels like is his biggest advantage in the fight. The Kiesa one kind of threw a whole bunch of people for a loop. We didn't really know how the wrestling will play out there. And it played out that Kiesa, um, you know, who was moving up a weight class was considerably stronger in those positions. Um, and Magny looked horrible in that fight. Maybe that plays out here and, you know, I'll, I'll lose my bet. Say la vie. That's, that's life. But, uh, yeah, Magny by Magny by decision. I only see it like plus plus one ten. It's not great. Um, plus one Oh five plus one ten. So it's like, everyone's kind of expecting it, but I, I mean, that is the most likely outcome as far as I can see. Magni will throw some jabs and stuff to keep it busy and then fish for takedowns, uh, sneak in when maybe Roe overextends on a punch, push him up against the cage. And, hold, uh, you know, it may not be the most exciting fight, but I expect Magni to come away victorious. So sounds like we're on the same page there. We move on. We got Randy Brown taking on Wellington Terman. Minus 220 for Randy Brown, plus 185 for Terman. Terman coming down from 185 for this fight, which is, uh, it'll be interesting because, like, he hasn't shown the greatest durability at 185 pounds. Now you strip 15 pounds off of his frame. He's going to be a big boy in there. And Randy Brown, 
usually has a massive size advantage over most of these guys. He's probably still going to be taller, but Terman, you'll kind of have to wait for the weigh-ins to see how it completely shakes out. I don't know. I don't. I haven't thought too too deeply about this one. It seems like a little bit of action is coming on Terman. I'm struggling to really make a pick and 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 where to go in terms of like a bet on this one until I see the weigh-ins. Like Wellington could just absolutely botch his weight cut, miss weight, and you know like you're not going to be backing him in that type of situation. I'm interested to hear what you have to say first, and then we'll we'll go from there. Yeah, well, I kind of want to see the weigh-ins as well. Like Terman didn't look like a massive 185er by any stretch, but he he fought Carl Roberson, who ended up being a 205er. He fought. Andrew Sanchez, who fights in the PFL right now at 205. He fought Sam Alvey, who ended up at 205 and actually fights as a heavyweight on the regional scene for whatever reason now. He fought Misha Cherkinov, who was a career best 205er, right? So well, the guy's mostly fought big middleweights, and now he's coming down to 170 pounds, taking on a guy who's like all length. Like he's all length. He, the, if Terman just shows up and he's a panzer tank of a man and goes out there and bullies him around, like he's going to be way stronger. He's outstrength some of these guys that are twice his size because he's a strong guy and he's a shoot to box, plodding, flat footed, come forward there to get hit all day long. And I think Randy Brown will be able to dance around this guy and tee off when need be. But once that distance gets closed and you end up in the clinch with him, he's going to be way stronger. He shows a 21% takedown accuracy in the UFC. So like not good, but he's good at forcing guys up against the cage and just trying to muscle them to the ground, bullying them to the ground, attempting multiple takedowns and eventually getting one of them to land, one of them to stick. I think the best way of going about this one is to take Randy Brown after the first round. I think Terman probably going to be a big, strong guy, probably going to be forcing the, the clinch early because he doesn't want to be striking against Brown, I wouldn't think, but force him up against the cage, maybe land a takedown, maybe beat him that way. The second and the third round, I expect Terman to gas out. Terman was gassing out at 85, and you can make the argument that that's because he's taking on these bigger guys, which is absolutely fair. But you could also make the argument that him coming down to 170 pounds, you know, either he is this absolute animal of a man or it's going to be hard for him. It's going to be a lot of a, it's going to be taxing. And to take on Randy Brown, who moves so much, that's a lot of, you know, evasiveness. That's a lot of you having to track him down. That's a lot of you having to chase around. It's going to be tiring for him. You know, you're trying to club him with these big overhand shots. He's not quite there. He keeps sticking you with these front kicks down the middle. He keeps sticking you with his jab down the middle. Everything he throws is linear. Everything you throw is loopy. He's going to be getting chopped up standing. Is that his ability to get this fight to the ground? Now, Randy Brown, similar to a Neil Magny or a Phil Rowe, once they are on the ground, it's troublesome for them because they have long limbs and it's hard to create that space and explode back up. But I'm hoping he's closer to a Neil Magny with decent wrestling than he is to a Phil Rowe. Because if he can keep this fight standing, keep it at range, I think he's got this fight beat up all day. So I got to take, uh, I'm going to take, you know, he's a favorite enough in Randy Brown, but Matador from the outside, use that speed, use that jab, win the fight. I would think I'm going to take him by decision, but Terman's also been KO'd a few times in the first round. He got knocked out by Andrew Sanchez in the first round. And coming down to 170, if he does have a bad weight cut, then it's all off the table. So I'm not going to chase a prop there. I'll probably just go with the straight-up line on Randy Brown. Yeah, Randy Brown. Randy Randy Brown is a prick. I mean, I kind of forgot about the Petrosky fight. Getting taken down eight times by Petrosky is not the greatest look. Like, if you're going to have to— Even the Misha Cherkinov fight, it's a dope result. Oh, he got an armbar win over a BJJ black belt, an armbar from guard. But when you watch the fight, oh, my God, it's awful. He's gassed. In the first round, he rides on his back for a bit, can't get anything out of it. Second round, he's gassed. They fall to the floor, and he just throws up a sloppy armbar. And because they're both gassed, Misha's just like, I'm out of here, and taps out. Like, 
it, his grappling's not that good. His grappling is not that good. He, I mean, I guess he gets like a little bit of shine from just training with with Glover. Glover, yeah. Who is and Alex Pereira by uh, by, by association? De- by by association by default. I mean, I can only imagine. They must absolutely kill. Like it must just like oh, sparring training. <laughs> you're doing you're doing kickboxing training with Alex today there, Wellington. It's just like oh boy. Um, you're oh you're grappling with, point, with Grandpa Glover today. Yeah, right. All right. Well, I'll I'll get ready to tap. Like it, it can't. Be imagine imagine they were like, okay, you need to go out there. This is the position. This is the drill that we're doing. You're gonna try to go dig an underhook on Glover. Takes hair up against the cage and push and pull, drag him to the ground. Oh, okay. Okay. Now you're trying to do the same thing to Randy Ruboy Brown. Ah! <laughs> you know what I mean? And oh, I'm striking Alex Pereira in the gym. Now I'm striking Randy Brown. You know what? He's getting himself prepared with those two training partners. No doubt about it. But uh, Randy's just, yeah, there's different bodies, man. He's way faster. He's way faster because he's half the size of them, right? And if this ends up being a striking role. Again, I'm looking for the live bet because Terman could come out here and look like a million bucks. And I'm glad I didn't bet this pre-fight flop on Randy Brown. Some parlays, I'll have Brown on it. Yeah, okay, damn there. But um, yeah, if he comes out and looks so-so, or he comes out and wins the first round and he's huffing and puffing, then that's that. just like the Dalby-Solikov fight. Like that was, yeah, it was the only fight I got wrong last week. But if you would have just bet that fight from a live betting standpoint, there was money to be made there on Dalby after he lost the first round. There was money to be made. Yeah. Uh, in, fair, in fairness to... Terman, he's still only 26. And Randy Brown yeah. is 32. Like, so Terman's like, maybe he's Terman the corner, you know? Um, maybe he'll be the what Terminator. What a horrible bad now. joke that was. <laughs> that was bad. That was a horrible joke. All right, let's move on. We got uh, Matus Rebecki taking on Loic Rajabov. Uh, Rebecca is a minus 150 favorite. Rajabov can be had for plus 130. Certified banger, Cody. Who you got? Yeah, certified banger. And 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 I think the UFC is doing a good job of both guys are pretty well the same. You know, their casual fan does not know them. They've got difficult to pronounce names and they're heavy set grinder type grapplers. They're going to come forward. They're going to force this fight to the ground. Yeah, they can both strike. A lot of it's just this mechanical, you know, overhand right, big explosive shot. But they do their best work when they're getting wrestling. They're getting they're doing their best work when they're able to establish that top control and just grind their opponents down into oblivion. Loic, meanwhile, love his style, but I've seen him struggle multiple times with it. He fought the, for, for the PFL against Rashid Magomedov, against like a decent, you know, counter wrestler. Yeah, not that good, man. And the striking, not enough to fall back on. He had a bad fight with his leaves de Juren, where he won a split decision. His fight with Islam Mamadov was a majority draw, but it was only a two-round fight. Um, Nathan Schull, Alex Martinez, just gas, gases out. Because even though he's able to push this grinding type game, you got to have three-round cardio because he exerts a ton of energy. Now, to his credit, he came back. He beat Alex Martinez in the rematch. Lost to Rush Manfield going for a million dollars because it's a five-round fight. And Lloyd don't got no five-round cardio. Barely got three-round cardio. That's going to be his issue. That's always going to be his issue. And now at 32, maybe even a little bit older if you believe him, I just don't know that the cardio gets any better. Yeah, he's exciting to a guy like me because I like those kind of fighters, but he's not exciting to the casual guy. So the UFC matches him up with someone just like him that can also grapple. And if you can go and take this guy down and and outgrind him, then yeah, you've got a roster spot. But uh, I don't expect them to keep 
either guy long-term unless they're going to go out there and get some exciting finishes. And then that was debut against Estevan Ribovics, right? Or sorry, that was on, uh, yeah, that was his UFC debut mm-hmm. for, for Loic. Loic Radzibov, again, strong, physical guy, can get these fights to where he needs them. It is a good fight from him. But I look at Matus Rebecki, who had a bad debut, and I'm really hoping this sophomore outing is going to be a lot better because I was high up on this kid. He's only 30 years old. He comes in with a 16-1 record into this spot. And, I mean, he looks like he's fought a lot better opponents on the regional scene. When you look at his record, he's got a win over Marion Zlokowski, who's the current KSW lightweight champ. He knocked him out in the fourth round. He's got a win over Degir Imovov, who's uh, Nasruddin Imovov's older brother and an absolute badass. I went over Magomed Magomedov. Yeah, there's 20 of those guys in MMA, but they're pretty much all good. And this one was 12 and 2 and pretty damn good. He's secured some solid wins, comes to the UFC, and that fight with Nick Fior, it was just a bad fight. Like, Fior gassed out in the second round. Rebecca got on top of him. I thought Rebecca would have done a lot more with his ground control in his top game. His cardio didn't really look as rock solid as I thought it would be. His uh, ground and pound didn't really look as rock solid as I thought it was going to be. But I just think it was a, a weird fight for him in a UFC debut. Kind of got some jitters out of the way. I'm really hoping he tunes himself in for this fight because Loic's going to come at him with a heavy, heavy pace. But if he doesn't take Rebecca down, uh, and I think Rebecca's got a slight wrestling advantage, Rebecca can force a lot of these striking exchanges, beat him on the feet, tire him out, take him into some deeper waters, and beat him. So another fight that I'm looking for from a live betting perspective because Loic in the first round is a handful for anybody. But the longer Loic goes, he gasses out. And I think Rebecca's got that cardio advantage i think he's in better shape and i think he's got a lot of good tools a lot of loik's tools just a more refined better version of them so hoping he can put them to practical use and get the win by yeah. decision for the record the Re- rebecca versus fior fight like it seemed very very clear to me that he was bonus hunting he was a massive favorite in that spot and it's like you're a great wrestler it's just like do that and like from mm-hmm. a lot of the fight he was just standing there throwing haymakers and yeah he was chasing 50k and uh, and then in round three, he goes zero resistance to a takedown and is able to just, you know, dominate from top position. I think he would have had a much better chance of getting that 50K if he just, you know, got top position and just lay, laid in with, uh, with ground and pound, you know, constantly. But, uh, yeah, it was a weird performance from him, and I think a lot of it had to do with maybe maybe part of it is like a lot of these guys – they get to the big show and they're like, well, I don't really get like full contact, you know, striking opportunities. So maybe he was like trying to work on his hands a little bit in that respect. Um, yeah, I like him to get the win here. I like, I loved what I saw from him on like the regional scene coming up before he got onto contender series. So it's like the guy has a lot of potential, um, should be interesting on the feet, but a lot of this fight is going to come down to like who has the advantage in the wrestling department. I don't have a great answer for that right now, but whoever gets top control is going to have massive success. Uh, I'll side with the with with with, with Matus Rebecki to be able to get those positions in this fight. But uh, yeah, it's a fight I'm definitely looking forward to. Uh, moving on down, we got Tabitha Ricci taking on Jillian Robertson minus one forty for Ricci plus one twenty for Robertson. Who you got? Just like you said for the last fight, it's a question of whoever ends up on top. And that's what you're getting out of here. Jillian Robertson seems like one of the better wrestlers, one of the better grapplers of the division. And she hasn't had a whole lot of success, but that's at 125 pounds where maybe she always did seem like she was a tad behind. Now she's dropped down to 115 pounds. And I think it's a lot more effective because again, there's not a whole lot of these elite wrestlers and grapplers. She's not one of them for the record, but 
her, her level is still clear and cut above a lot of the division. So her last fight against Pierre Rodriguez, who was, you know, a 9-0 undefeated prospect, looks decent enough. She's able to go out there and stifle her, out-grapple her, win the fight. You know, it's a solid victory. Uh, at times, she had struggled to make 125. You know, at times, she her weight cuts weren't all that good. But the fact that she looked good on the scales against Pierre Rodriguez and then proceeded to go out there and perform over the course of three rounds without tiring out, this is probably the natural weight class for her. And, you know, could be dangerous for a lot of people. Tabitha Ricci, meanwhile, yeah, she's a natural 115-pounder at best. So that size advantage will play towards Jillian Robertson. Now, I've liked how Ricci's looked in the UFC, but if you go back to her fight with Manil Fioro, which she took on short notice, and she took out 125, she's, like, way outsized, way out muscle, not even close. Drops down to 115, and they've matched her up soft. Maria Oliveira, she took her down five times. Pauliana Viana, she took her down five times. Jessica Panay, you know, again, easy takedowns for her there. Is she going to get those takedowns against a much larger, grittier, tougher, savvier Jillian Robertson? Yeah, pro- probably not. It's not going to be all that easy. So the other thing is, is that she relies heavily on her judo game. She's got a judo black belt. She likes these trip-type takedowns, right? Against Robertson, who's more of a wrestling-type game, I don't know that it translates. I don't know that she's e- easily going to be able to trip her up. Standing, I feel like she's a little bit cleaner than Robertson and probably has a little bit better volume than Robertson, but they're both low-volume strikers. And Jillian's at least ready to bite down on the gum shield, take two punches to deliver one, because she kind of always fights with that kind of tenacity to her. So I want to pick Jillian Robertson. I feel like the play should be Jillian Robertson. And then as I write about to lock it in, I go Tabitha Ricci for no other reason than it's plus money. And I think this fight's 50-50. I think it's a close fight. I think both girls can win. I think Tabitha Ricci probably has slightly better cardio, has slightly better striking, has slightly better maybe grappling. On the flip side, she's taking on a girl and Jillian Robertson is bigger, stronger than her. And the last thing I want to mention is some people might be thinking like, what are you talking about better grappling? You know, Tabitha Ricci, black belt, Jillian Robertson, solid black belt as well. But when you look at Jillian Robertson, like, and again, I hate shitting on fighters, especially it always sounds like I'm shitting on Canadian fighters for whatever reason, because I'm not. It's kind of like fairly low level for the most part. The win over Pierre Rodriguez, who has deficiency in her grappling, and she did look in that fight. But prior to that, Maria Agapova is a wash. She's got no grappling, and she was just all a product of hype. She got a win over Priscilla Cachoeira, your girl. I understand, but still, like she was having trouble on the feet, got the fight to the ground. If this was the jungle, you are allowed to eye gouge. Priscilla Cachoeira probably takes that baby clean out, right? Then who wins that fight, Paul? You tell me then who wins that fight. Some of these other wins, again, it's like uh, Pollyanna Botello, Courtney Casey way back in the day. That fight's now officially three years ago. Sarah Frata, like a lot of those wins over girls no longer within the division. But the one I want to key on, because I just shit on her a few minutes ago, is that Miranda Maverick. So she fights Miranda Maverick just two years ago, and Maverick out-wrestled her, took her down three times, spent five minutes of control time on her. You know, generally had better jiu-jitsu and better wrestling in that fight. Her fight with J.J. Aldridge, she went one for six in takedowns against J.J. Aldridge, couldn't get her to the ground. Those are glaring red flags to me that... If you're getting out grappled by Maverick, who just proved two weeks ago that really not that good of a wrestler or grappler, maybe you're not that high level. Her record when she completes in these grappling tournament matches, submission underground, lost to Liz Tracy. Submission underground, 30-second submission, lost to Raquel Canudo. Medusa won, knee bar lost to Nikki Sullivan. Like She's not even winning grappling matches. This is going to be a greasy, tough fight, but I'll take the plus money on whoever it is, and it's Tabitha Ricci, so I'm taking it. The plus money is on Jillian Robertson. 
Is it? Did it move? Or no. am I just looking at no. it wrong? No, uh. like she's she's been the favorite the entire time. Wow. Well, you she know opened what? up at minus one sixty. I took her Forget at minus. I took everything her at, I said. I took her at minus. <laughs> and I'm taking Julie Robinson. Okay, I'll take a shoey bet on on that one with you. To be perfectly honest, if you're you'll take Ricci and I'll take Robertson I'll take, and it's a shoey bet. I'll take Ricci. Yeah, I, I frankly thought that like Ricci was gonna. <laughs> I be... I was about to pick against her. I know. Uh, sure, I'll do it. I'll do it because I'm right. a degenerate, Paul. We got to get one, but uh, we didn't have one for this episode. The people come for the shoeys, so uh, we'll, we'll we'll line one up for next week. I, I actually, you bring up good points about the size. I, I will say that, but. I feel like there's a striking advantage for Tabitha Ricci if she is able to get to the top control, like against Pollyanna Vienna, who's got a very, very tricky guard, uh, really good submission skills. She's able to just hang out there the entire fight without too many issues. And I thought her last fight out there against uh, Penne, it kind of looked like somebody who was bringing it all together. Everything's kind of coming together, got the finish, absolutely dominated from pillar to post. Um, and, and frankly, she put in many, many years as Mackenzie Dern's number one striking uh, or number one training partner, like sparring partner. So it's like if if they're in exchanges on the mat, like Jillian Robertson's most dangerous part of her game is her submission skills. It's like I don't think she'll be able to catch Ricci really in anything. So you bring up good points about the size. I didn't really factor that in all that much, but I'm not going to lie. I thought Ricci was going to be like minus 200 in this spot. Um, so we'll see where the market goes for the rest of the week. I may add more if it dips back into like the minus 120 range, but it seems like the market's starting to move towards like minus 150 or so. But we'll see. We'll see on, on Saturday. Maybe, maybe when they're standing next to each other and Jillian Robertson's considerably bigger. Maybe I'll scoop up a little bit more. But uh, for now, I've got, yeah, minus 125, Tabitha Ricci. Moving on down, down we've got Jalgis Zumagulov sporting his Patty Pimblet hair, taking on a Joshua Van. Uh, Zumagulov, a minus 205 favorite. Uh, Joshua Van can be had for plus 175. I mean, I feel like th- this is finally the moment for Jalgis to... Like, Joshua Van... You just got signed to the UFC. It would be pretty. It would be pretty bad for you to pull out because uh, they may not give you another contract. Jalgas has been robbed in so many fights. We talk about it over and over and over. Watching a like I watched a couple of Joshua Vance fights, and I was just like, seems pretty, pretty basic. Like obviously he's pretty young in his career. Like one of the fights he was like three and one at the time, and that was only in like two. two, two uh, 2022 so he's really really green really fresh Zalgas has put in time has fought tons of great guys over the course of his career won a bunch of fights or should have won a whole bunch of fights that he lost on the scorecards obviously that's why he's got the Patty Pimblet hair now uh, hoping that the judges look on him a little bit more favorably Zalgas, yeah Zalgas was like minus 170 this line's growing I think finally Jalgis wins one and wins one clear enough that the even the judges in Florida, which we haven't even really brought up, Florida's going to mess one of these ones up, Cody. Um, I think even even they will see Jalgis uh, come away victorious or maybe he finds a finish, but uh, haven't really seen enough from Joshua Van to know about his durability or anything like that. But yeah, this should be one-way traffic as far as I'm concerned. What about you? 
Yeah, Zalg is pretty crazy. So obviously he's known for getting the, the shitty end of the scorecards and then changes up the haircut of the Patty Pimblet look. And now people do not want to fight this man. Starts off with Nate Maness. Nate Maness is like, oh man, I'm hurt. So they're like, okay, well, we got this Raphael Estevam who is frothing at the mouth, chomping on the bait coming in from Brazil. And then that guy's like, oh, I, I can't cut the weight. And it's like, oh, okay, well, we got this Felipe Bunez. This guy's 34 years old making his debut. He's going to go for it. That guy's like not medically cleared. They don't want none of the smoke, my friend. So thing is, when you're 21 years old, like Joshua Van, you got no money. You fight. It's more of a hobby. You know, he's a Fury FC flyweight championship champion. I suppose that's pretty cool. And he was supposed to fight on the Contender Series in August. So that would have been a good platform for him. Go on the Contender Series, potentially win a fight against a fellow unranked, potentially unheralded prospect. And if you can win and win looking good, then join the UFC. And maybe they start you off soft, but... Yeah, dude, when when the UFC comes knocking, you answer the call. That's exactly what Joshua Van's done. He's jumping into the opportunity. But, yeah, I don't know that he's going to have the skills quite yet. When I watch the tape on him, it looks like his striking is pretty good. The guy moves quite well. 21 years old, very young. His grappling, work in progress. He wants to go for the submissions. He's looking for the submissions. Unfortunately, people will realize this the longer their, fight, their uh, careers go and the more experience they accrued. Sometimes it's better to get the position. You need the position most of the time. You need to get some of that top control. You need to put some of that pressure on to make them wear you. And unfortunately for him, he's still young enough that he's constantly going for the kill all the time and putting himself into bad spots. His striking, I think, again, fast, uh, you know, decent enough. And could he beat Zalga Zumagulov in a straight-up kickboxing match? I think he would be able to keep it competitive with him. But Zalga's outswarms guys. He just comes forward constantly. He is very, very durable. He can take one hell of a shot. And he throws a lot of these unorthodox shots in bunches, overwhelms guys. Not only that, he's got a wrestling advantage and a grappling advantage over Van. So I think he strikes with them for three minutes of the round, four minutes of the round, pressures them backwards, lands some decent combinations, lands those big thudding leg kicks, but then mix in a takedown or two, and that's going to you know get him the victory. Van could be good, sure, but a couple things. One, 21 years old, way too young. Second of all, he's jumping in there against Zalgus, a proven competitor who's getting robbed against good guys, who's fighting good guys, lost, only loses to top guys in the UFC. It's just, it's too much. To be 21 in the first spot, uh, point, it's too much to be taking Zalgus in a short notice debut, a guy that's been probably training the last 16 weeks with all these cancellations and pullouts. Tough, tough, tough spot. Tough, tough spot for him. So not only that, but when you look at his record, as you mentioned, oh, he's 3-1 and one and he's fighting somebody. This is just a year ago. He's been fighting professionally for less than two years. Well, who has he fought? Who has he tested himself against? Who? What takedowns has he had to stuff? Oh, his striking looks good against what level of competitor? Mm -hmm. Zalgus is just a step and above in all those spots. So Florida, yeah, not the best commission, but I would hope that they get this thing right. Unless they're looking at it like this 21-year-old kid's a rocky story, young kid, you know, fresh out of college, uh, jumping in there at the last moment against this stoic Zalgus Zumagulov. Like, it, you take that off the table, you take those those stupid narratives off the table— I think Zalgus is the the better the better fighter, just got the better, more refined skill set. But because we're known for him to get bad decisions, there's always going to be a bit of hesitancy betting on minus two hundred five. It's a flyweight fight; they're usually close and competitive. Almost all of Zalgus's fights are close and competitive, and on three occasions, he's been robbed in those close and competitive fights. So minus two hundred five again. It's a price that you don't love to jump at, but when you do the tape study and you look at what's logical, Zalgus has the better skill set. Better skill set should win the fight. And if there was one little X factor that you need to put you over the edge here, that haircut, baby, right? Gotta solidify things for us. Let's hope so.
if he gets robbed in this one, I mean, we're in Florida, which is like the perfect setting for it somehow to go against him, even if he should win the decision. Like, don't a mullet. It. A mullet might have been a better choice in Florida. <laughs> That's fair. All right, moving on down, we've got it's Trevor Peak Fight Week, Cody. Trevor Peak hey. taking on Chepe Mariscal. Uh, Mariscal opened at like a plus two hundred five or plus two ten underdog. And he's been bet to the slight favorite at this point. I went and watched a little bit of tape. And, I mean, the one time that he's been, like, knocked out on the feet was against Steve. And, uh, you know, Steve. Our Steve's boy a Steve. hell of power. Steve Dwayne's has hell of power. Too, and it wasn't. But, well. bro, like, that. Sorry, I didn't watch the Rito fight in fair. It was a horrible stoppage against Steve. He was up against the cage defending himself. He had just thrown like a spinning elbow seconds before that. This guy Mariscal, like, you know, his record is like, what, 16 and 9 or whatever? It's like, it's not very pretty, but it's like he has fought some very, very legitimate fighters in the, over the course of his career. You're bo- I mean, nobody's coming. I'll, I'll let you talk about Trevor Peak Fight Week, and then, and then I'll wrap it up with, with, with my thoughts because that's what the people are here for. Yeah, so again, when you look at uh, Jose Mariscal, okay, we'll start with Trevor Peak. I'm a huge Trevor Peak fan. He had a much easier fight on the table with Victor Martinez. Like Victor Martinez just got knocked out by Jordan Levitt. How the hell, how the hell are you going to get knocked out by Jordan Levitt and then stand up to Trevor Peak's punches? So yeah, it's a short-notice replacement opponent, but it's an infinitely tougher opponent that Mariscal's a lot faster. He's got a decent judo background that he might threaten some of these you know, foot sweeps. He might try to threaten taking down Trevor Peak a little bit, but the guy can absolutely brawl but he's also capable of fighting a technical kickboxing fight at range. He's on a good little win streak right now. And you mentioned it. For someone that's just debuting in the UFC, he's not your typical debuting fighter. He's 30 years old, right? He's, his skill set is pretty well locked in at this point. He trains at an evolution, um, sorry, an elevation fight team, right? So he's getting some solid rounds with one of the better teams in the world at elevation. Cardio seems to check out. And, and he's just kind of faster, maybe a little more technical than Trevor Peak. So I can see why at plus money you would want to jump on this guy. You mentioned he's got incredible victories already. He does. He went 11-0 and 0 as an amateur, okay? Solid. As a pro, he's already lost to Gregor Gillespie, who also knocked him out in the first round. But he, Gregor just took him down and absolutely rocked his shit, right? He, had, he lost to Bryce Mitchell by decision. He's got a no contest with Carl Deaton, who's also in the UFC. He's got a split decision win over Pat Sabatini, who's in the UFC and just looked awesome. He's got a win over Yusuf Zalal, who used to fight in the UFC and is going to work his way back up because Yusuf Zalal's definitely on the up and up. He's fought a bunch of good guys. Joe Anderson Brito, Steve Garcia, Sean Soriano, head scratcher, head scratcher. But man, he's fought seven or eight UFC veterans at this point. So I think at 30, you're going to get a good version of him, not someone that's a little bit green or wet behind the ear. And as much as I'm a huge Trevor Peak fan, Trevor Peak is like the epitome of green. He needs experience. He needs to get in there and fight three times a year against a slowly better level of, of opponent. They did an excellent job of the regional scene building him up. Better fights, better fights, better fights. Culminates a fight with Kama Worthy, a very tough UFC veteran who hasn't, I wouldn't say in trouble early, but definitely stung him with some shots. Peak's just so damn tough and so damn stubborn. He walks through the shots. He gets the knockout victory. You see him on the Contender Series. We nailed a nice one over Malik Lewis at plus money. And he proceeds to get his ass kicked, Paul. Oh, my God. And then about four minutes in, you can see that Malik Lewis is starting to break. And if you have that break inside of you, it's a bad spot to be in against Trevor Peak because that break's not inside of him. He's going to be continuously coming after you, trying to mallet in your head 
by any means necessary. So Malik Lewis folded under the pressure. And then you see him in his UFC debut, much of the same. It's like there was a good game plan there, okay? I'm going to neutralize him. I'm going to take him down. I'm going to try to, you know, take away some of that vicious power. I feel like Eric Gonzalez felt new. I might have a slight wrestling advantage over Trevor Peak. But Peak's very physically strong. And most of his camps are working on him getting up. Because even though he's not the most technical guy, guys don't want to stand in front of him. Too many chances to be taken. So take him down, you know? Use use his basic grappling against him. That's what they're trying to do. But he's been working on it, and he's been getting back up. So when I look at Mariscal, Mariscal, I don't think, tries to take him down. But again, he's a judo black belt. So he probably has the capability and the skills to take him down. And maybe he flirts with the idea of taking him down. But I think he's going to start out and he's going to play at range. Use his technical kickboxing, use his speed, use some length, use those kicks, and I think he'll just beat Trevor Peak to the punch. He'll just slowly beat him to the punch. And Trevor's going to keep coming forward, and he's going to have that wild dog look in his eyes, and eventually it's going to start to get to him. And eventually he's going to revolt, result, result back to what he does best, what he used to do back in the day, Mariscal, which is just throw down. I mentioned he was 11-0 as an amateur, 10 first-round knockouts in that stretch. When you look at his pro career... One, two, three, four, five, six. He he likes to get the knockout. He likes to go at it early. He likes to get those finishes. He is an aggressive guy. When you look at his last couple of fights, he's been able to fight from the outside, but it results in a lot of same stuff. He wants to throw down. And I feel like taking a fight on a week's notice, week and a half's notice at best against peak, he's not going to be in peak physical condition. And, but not only that, all jokes aside, his durability is not quite there. Like you're getting into a gunfight, with a guy that can take a frying pan across the face and you know you're, you're tough enough but yeah i think at some point the dog's gonna come out of peak peak's gonna land something put him away now as i was talking to a friend of mine don't love the idea of trevor peak uh as a favorite over mariscal i don't want to he initially was minus 175 don't like that price tag but if i can get plus money on peak which is where it's trending to if i can get even money on peak um yeah i'm cool with that and if i can live bet peak who may get shit kicked in the first round if we've seen before okay, great. I'll get plus money going to the second and the third because Mariscal doesn't have rock-solid cardio, I don't think, even though he's at elevation. I don't think he's got rock-solid cardio, and the durability, I think, is an issue. Even though he's capable of winning a technical kickboxing match at range, once this local Jacksonville crowd gets humming, once fight of the night is going down, once 50 Gs is on the line, and once Trevor Peak's standing right in front of you, there's no technical kickboxing game to be had. So uh, go at Peak for the knockout here. Roll with my boy. Well, I mean, that's the least shocking, you know, prediction. That I mean, There's no way you were picking against him um, on this program. Not I picked against Chris Curtis in his last fight, which hurt yeah. me. And then uh, it was but, a stupid no contest. God damn it. I shouldn't say stupid. He got headbutted. Whatever. But Chris Curtis is your you know, boy. If you're going like, you, to betray your boy, it'd be nice to get you paid. Know, you, know this guy per- no like, you know this guy personally. Um, I like Trevor Peek a lot, yeah. Of course. Um... He's got his. He's got the dog in him, a hundred percent. It like that. That knockout last time out there was absolutely just insane. Literally throwing standing hammer fists and uh, and dusting Eric Gonzalez. But yeah, every single one of his fights, he is winging shots from the hip. Uh, he was throwing. He was throwing leg kicks. That's like the other guy's totally anticipating it, checking the leg kick. But like he was just. He just continues to just throw it. Like he is just. All violence all the time. Here's like my greasy thought on this one. Is like I don't and I've been looking around for like a market on this because I feel like it would be probably pretty wide. 
I mean, a lot of people think that this fight's going to be finished in the first round. It's like watching the Steve fight. It's like Chepe Mariscal was able to take a whole bunch of punishment, and that fight shouldn't have been stopped. So you always are at the at the will of whoever is refereeing the fight. Like both of these guys could be knocked down at any given time, and a ref steps in, makes a mistake. I mean, we're just coming off of a past weekend where refs make mistakes. These things happen in MMA. But I feel like if this fight gets like over two and a half rounds, it's got like fight of the night written all over it. And it's so deep on the prelims. There's 14 fights on the card. Like I wouldn't be shocked to see this one go over one and a half. I wouldn't see this be shocked to see this one go into round three. Cause like both of them have showed like they can get dropped. They can get hurt, but like they both have a tremendous amount of heart and can take what I think is a serious amount of damage, which all kind of, culminates into like I, i've been looking for the props obviously it's like a fight night card so it's like nobody's really releasing those ones too early in the week i'm on the lookout for you know fight of the night um one of those one of those plays which only a few books kind of carry it uh, but i'm gonna pick against your guy peak just i think just based on technicality uh, like the technical ability of chepe mariscal um I, I, what, what if I gave you one last thing to think about? Wait until the weigh-ins. Simple fact is Chepe Mariscal, 45. All of his fights are 145. His last fight against Guillermo Feria is actually a catch weight of 150. Mm-hmm, but of 18 pro fights, yeah, uh, yeah uh, he misses weight. He beats Guillermo Feria. Uh, yeah, catch weight of 150. Maybe that's a sign he should be moving out. But mm-hmm. of 18 pro fights, 16 of them are at 145 pounds. Topology lists him at five foot six. Um, UFC's stats, like the UFC stat.com, they list him at five foot seven. Here's the question. How would they know? He doesn't fight for them. They've never had to measure him before. So Peak's a solid five nine, man. Not only that, he fought at 170 back in the day and he didn't look out of place. So if he comes in and he's way bigger and this ends up being a gunfight, yeah, he's folding them up. And then the last thing I'll give you, not that this helps or hinders or anything, but um, a word is that they've told Trevor Peak if he comes out unscathed and he comes out with a nice win, that they'll throw him right on the UFC pay-per-view in uh, Nashville, August 5th. So I think he's probably going to come in and look for that first-round knockout, which he looks for anyways. But, uh, yeah, he's got if – they're, if they're dangling a carrot right in front of him, oh, well, that bad man just got even better. He's a very violent man. I just think there's a lot there's a lot of work in progress. Like somebody's it's going to be very yes, very that's true. like he has a lot to learn. Like what what he has you cannot teach. Like the guys in, like he is trying to kill you literally with every strike. But it's like he is like coming from the hip with every single thr- uh, strike that he throws and the cardio seems to hold up. Um, I mean he's a damn war like that was my favorite tape to do this week is like rewatching his fights. Um, I was just like, this is, I mean, this is exactly like, he's like a modern day, like Diego Sanchez, basically. Um, the the skill, like the actual technical skills have some, some, some room to grow. We'll just say that. But like the guy's an absolute warrior. I'm saying that like this could, this has like the makings of fight of the night. If this fight can get extended and get into the deeper rounds, that's all I'm saying. Um, and yeah, that's Steve knockout of Mariscal, complete fugazi that 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 should not have been stopped like just a terrible job by the commission anybody rewatch that fight and you'll 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 agree with me 100 percent. i gotta go watch the burrito one though he's steve's the bantamweight isn't he 
My boy Trevor's big. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Cody, just, Cody. You want, wait, don't take a shoey bet. Do you want to take a shoey no, bet? No, 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 no. I want to take. All I want to do is take like a fourteen to one prop that this ends up being fight of the night on a on a very yeah, very yeah. busy card. Um, yeah, but cool. yeah, I'll 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 lean towards Chappie Mariscal mostly just to trigger you. Like I feel like I'm picking yeah. against I'm, your I boy. I am triggered. I'm just sweating. to get you a little bit triggered. But no, like <laughs> if I can find one of the like it's early in the week they don't post those usually until like friday or whatever it's like i feel like that could be kind of like nobody's going to be surprised that trevor peak is in it but like maybe the sports books aren't wise to the fact that like this has like if this fight is able to get into a third round like it has like fight of the night written all over it um moving on down we got jamal emmers taking on jack jenkins minus 210 for emmers plus 180 for jenkins who you got here bud yeah, I got conflicting thoughts on this one for sure. So looking at the line, the minus 210 on Jamal Emmers, I can never do minus 210 on Jamal Emmers. Simple fact that here's a guy that's extremely talented. You know, I think you and I have, have sung his high praises in the, in the past and then just like seemingly pff, no ring IQ. Like I, I bet the guy over Giga Chakots, he had him dead to rights. He can easily out wrestle him. He can easily out grapple him. Chooses to do neither. But why not just kickbox with Giga Chakots? Like what a great idea that would be. No, no. No, terrible idea. Ends up losing the fight. Split decision on a fight he could have won. Still almost did win, but just like very illogical. His fight with Pat Sabatini, as you remember that one. He's just cooking him upstanding. Pat Sabatini falls to the ground and rolls for a leg lock. And Emmers is like, you want to play footsies? Let's play footsies. And then taps out basically immediately afterwards. Why would you go to the ground with him? Why would you play leg locks with him? It's just another bonehead decision. Then he tears his knee, takes a bunch of time off. And they booked him against Kassain uh, Askabov, who's 23-0. and 0. You and I both hit him at plus money. Simple fact, Askabov at 23-0 and 0 was like, not good, not good. And Emmers looked good in that fight. Again, he's explosive. He's got decent enough footwork. He can play that outside range game very effectively. He can wrestle. He's got a good shot. He's got solid enough grappling. And his cardio seems pretty okay. He was able to mandador him for the most part. Only landed the one takedown. But again, looked good in that fight, staying to the outside. He could do much of the same things to Jack Jenkins. I think he's faster than Jack Jenkins. I think he's a lot more athletic than Jack Jenkins. I think he's got a wrestling over, advantage over him. Potentially also go out there and just out-grapple him. Jenkins just fought Don Shanus. He got taken down by Don Shanus, but he also got swept twice and got caught in a couple potential submission attempts by Don Shanus. That's not good, man. Emers chooses to shoot that low single leg on you. If Emers drags you to the ground, if Emers gets on top, he's going to spend some decent quality time. He's going to fish for submissions. He's going to look good to the judges. As far as his stand-up game goes, he's a little bit faster. He's agile. He's fleet-footed. And if he stays to the outside, that mixed in with those sporadic takedowns probably wins him the fight. At minus 210, I can't trust him to shoot the takedowns. I can't. And so if he doesn't shoot the takedown, which he probably won't, He's going to just, it's going to be like, yeah, long range kickboxing. Here's your, here's a one, here's a one, two, here's a one, two with a body kick. Whereas I actually do like the technical boxing out of Jack Jenkins. Jenkins throws in combinations. Jenkins throws tight and Jenkins is capable. I think of racking up decent numbers. So in a, in a tit for tat striking battle, I think similar to the Giga Chakots fight, he's losing these exchanges. He's just not registering that he's not doing quite enough. And then eventually drops it, drops a decision. If he shoots the takedowns, he may win. But it's not like Jenkins is a total fish out of water. He took Shanus down four times himself. He had some good spots. On the regional scene in Australia, it looks like he can grapple. It's that the regional scene in Australia and New Zealand, that's a far cry away from Jamal Emmers, who has a legitimate skill set. 
just doesn't have legitimate ring IQ and put it all together sometimes. So again, you can't just on a 14 fight card where we're just gonna take a whole bunch of favorites. Like someone's going to shit in the apple mm-hmm. pie. Jamal Emmers is a guy that shit in a few apple pies in his day, and he's a minus two ten favorite. So the writing's on the wall for him here. I think I'll take Jack Jenkins. Don't love it, but yeah, it's an underdog pick. I'll take Jack Jenkins. It's a tricky one. It is a really tricky, tricky. one. Like I mean, Emmers has significant size advantage in this if this is going to turn into a wrestling fight and like yeah Sheamus showed off a little bit better than I think a lot of people expect expected in that Mm -hmm. fight against Jack Jenkins he got a little bit exposed there and what that was you know at home it was a a hometown game for him he's a minus 420 favorite I don't know. I feel like the experience with Emmers, the problem is, yeah, I feel like the market is pretty right on this. It's like minus 210. Like Jamal Emmers has been a little bit flaky in some of his some of his fights, but he's got a massive reach advantage. He's definitely got, it's a lot more experience in the octagon. Wrestling should probably be a bit of a push between the two of them. He's bigger, a little bit stronger. Bigger, at least. One, I don't know about One stronger. fight in the last three years. One fight in the last three years. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 dodgy. It's dodgy at best, Cody. It's dodgy. I'll plus money when it's dodgy, right? The guy's 33 Jenkins. with one good knee. Come on, Jack Jenkins. Do it for me. Jenkins by decision. What is that? What is the Yeah, that's effect? a good way of looking at it, too. I'll point him on the feet. Box him up a bit. I mean, Emmer's put up 116 significant strikes. Just a couple, fi- or you know, a couple fights ago means like five years ago. <laughs> yeah, 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 two fights but, ago. Yeah, against Vince Cachero is a low level fight. Yeah. Come on, 103 yeah, significant exactly. strikes. Okay, all right. You know, I flipped. I flipped. We're going with Jack Jenkins. Jack Jenkins by decision. Ah, it's only plus two four. I would just take the money line. Um, in that type of situation, Jack Jenkins, we got it. We got to pick some underdogs here at this point. All right, moving on down. We got Tetsuro Tyra taking on Kletson Rodriguez minus two sixty for Tyra plus two twenty for Rodriguez. We have another live dog that's capable here. I am terrified to fade Tyra. Um, the grappling is definitely most definitely on point and his back takes my biggest fear like what i hate most in this game right now is just guys that are so good at taking the back and just neutralizing you because it's like there's literally nothing certain guys can do once you take that position and you just if you bet on the other guy even though there's not much damage like the ref's never gonna stand it up and they can just literally hang out there and just you know fight for rear naked chokes rinse repeat over the course of 15 minutes so it's like i totally understand why tyra is the favorite here but like he's very very young he seems kind of green in a lot of aspects of mma but that grappling is on point his back takes are elite so i am tempted to to back the underdog uh rodriguez who had a bad bad you know proper ufc debut but uh showed that you know he's he's got a lot of potential in his last time out there um getting the early early finish i mean he was a guy on contender series that i thought had a lot of potential the the vergara fight you know he i mean the stats don't even look all that bad but it was way too close and then obviously he killed shannon ross but shannon ross super super chinny um yeah, I hate I hate fading back takers, Cody. That is my biggest problem here. It's just like 
you, you think it all looks good on paper. Oh, Tyra hasn't really been tested on the feet. What if Tyra's not able to get the takedown? And then, like, in the first, like, 45 seconds, he just grabs the back, and you're like, well, ripping up your tickets. We're done. I mean, I guess for the purposes of the show, I'll pick Kledson Rodriguez, but I'm kind of scared to pull the trigger. Yeah, dude, I 100% hear you. So every card you see these guys, and we talked about it a little bit on this one, is like, are you going to buy the hype? Are you going to buy the hype? And I'll admit, on this card alone, you'd have to buy the hype on... There's no hype on Austin Lane. Gabriel Santos has already had that debut. Uh, Matus Rebecca, Lloyd Rods, Badanov, you know, maybe you're buying some hype. Joshua Van, he's 21, you'd have to buy the hype. Chepe Mariscal never debuted, he's jumping up a weight class, you're buying some hype. Like, there's always that, you're taking that chance. I bought the hype on Clayton Rodriguez. I thought this guy looked awesome. I thought in the Contender Series, here's a legitimate flyweight prospect, a guy that's going to challenge the top 10, the top 5 of the division in the near future, not right away, but in the near future. He's young. And he's the complete package. Still only 27 years old. The guy can wrestle. The guy can grapple. The guy's got solid pace. He's got very good durability. And he can strike. Solid power and also very solid volume. That debut on the Contender Series versus Santo Curatolo gives up two takedowns. Not great. But gets up right away. And then proceeds to put a beating on him. Lands 90 significant strikes. His debut against CJ Vergara, I load up on him. And he's a huge favorite. And it's a flat robber. Like He wins the first two rounds. He should have won the fight. But all the same, he didn't look that good against C.J. Vergara. He's getting hustled back. He didn't look like a guy that was putting pressure on him. And he definitely faded down the stretch and lost that third round. Thought he was up two, maybe took the third round off. I don't know. But it was like a robbery, but not so much so that you're going to go screaming about it. It was like Clayton should have done more. Clayton's supposed to be this great prospect. He needed to be able to switch gears, and he didn't switch gears. So his very next fight against Shannon Ross, oh, dude, he knocked him at 59 seconds. Oh, he's back on the up and up. No, he's not back on the up and up. He missed weight, came in at 127 pounds. So one single pound overweight, not good. This fight's booked at flyweight, so there's going to be a pressure on him to make the weight. And, of course, that's probably uh, indicative of tough weight cut if you're going to miss weight in your last timeout. Yeah, 59-second knockout. That's what you're supposed to do when you miss weight to kind of erase that memory in some people's eyes. But here's a guy that at 27, I think he's starting to fill out that frame. I think the weight cuts are tough for him. I think that's why he faded against CJ Vergara. And I think that's why he opted not to utilize his, you know, his gas tank late in that fight. So against Tatsuya Terra, it's problematic because one, if Santa Curatolo is taking you down twice, Tatsuya Terra probably gets those takedowns. Mm-hmm. Second of all, as you mentioned, it's like, I'm not going to compare him to Aljamain Sterling, but it's not just the threat of, he might be able to take me down. It's because a lot of guys, well, I got a good get-up game. If they can backpack you, if they can get to the back, put that body triangle in, you're not going anywhere. It's their choice. It's their choice if they want to let go of the body triangle, but there's nothing. And Joe Rogan, time and time again, whoever's on the broadcast, they're like, how do you defend this, Joe? And it's like, you got to roll to the side of the... No, it doesn't work. Nothing works. Nothing works with the body triangle. If you are Houdini, maybe you can turn yourself around, but like a guy with a good back take is very problematic because he just shuts you down and nothing happens and the fans boo. And uh, I've seen two fights get stood up for a mount. Bobby Lashley versus Chad Griggs in Strikeforce. Bobby Lashley's having a heart attack Well, from mount. They stood it up. Chad Griggs TKOs him and then Bobby goes to the hospital for kidney failure. And Kimbo Slice versus Dada 5000 in Bellator. Kimbo had him mounted. Mergliata stands them up. Surprisingly enough, maybe not surprisingly enough, coincidentally enough, Dada 5000 also went to the hospital right after for kidney failure. So nobody stands it up from mount, but I have seen it. I never seen somebody start a fight up from a body triangle. It just doesn't happen. So once you put it in, even if it's 
30 seconds into the first round and the fans are booing and no one's enjoying this. They just, it, it, it's a, it's a advantage of position that they won't take away from you. I got a feeling that that's what Taito Tyra will do. It, striking wise. I don't think he's going to have an advantage here. He plays a good, decent enough long game that in a big cage, he'll be able to avoid some of that damage, but he's not going to have a whole lot of prolonged success taking on more of a heavy set, aggressive striker with a power advantage like Clayton Rodriguez. What he needs to do is get Clayton to overcommit to something, get under him, shoot for the low single, switch that low single to a rear waist body lock, and then try to jump on his back. He's got long limbs, long legs, and of course the rear naked choke is his favorite position. Last greasy theory on it, but whatever. It's not, it's a half theory, and it was half I was trying to read into something. Someone suggested, you know, maybe. Why is this fight on the prelims? So, the obvious answer is the UFC just does this on every card, right? They have these weird prelim fights that probably shouldn't be prelim fights. And even though Tatsuatara is very, very popular and on a good run and is young and improving, and Clayton Rodriguez is solid enough and young and improving, this is a really good fight. How come it gets buried? to the second fight of a 14-fight card in Jacksonville, Florida. It doesn't really make any sense. The other thing is this card in Jacksonville, Florida starts at like noon, a noon start time, and it is not in a foreign market. So why was the UFC opting to start a card so early and then to put this fight so early? But apparently it's the Japanese demographic. They were just like, we're going to start this card early and put him on early because they get crazy good viewership numbers from Mm -hmm. him or something to the effect. And I think they gave him a proper fight to, it's a tough fight, it's a look good fight, and I and I think his ability to get to the back here and look good, I think he's important to them. Grow this kid up into a legitimate contender by having him be solid, better degrees of guys, and we move up. Him versus Santo Caratola, well, he kills him, no problem. Him versus Shannon Ross, yeah, this is a non-competitive fight. The guys that Clayton has beaten, right, Tatsuatara beats the crap out of. The one guy that beat Clayton Rodriguez, CJ Vergara, Tatsuatara also beat the crap out of. So I'm thinking levels is what I'm thinking. Levels and tire with that back take looks money to me. So I, I don't love the money line. What do you want from me? But uh, possibly by decision if he can't sink in that rear naked choke, which I think he's going to be looking for control two rounds more than anything. That makes sense. I mean, in terms of like the time time shift there. So like where I am, I'm on East in East Coast, Canada. It's 12 hour difference. So it's 5.38 in the morning as we record this show. Um, and it would be 13 hours difference for you. So if it's noon, it would be like midnight in Japan so they can expect. Perfect. Yeah, if you yeah. put him on the the actual car, you're talking like, you know, wee hours of the morning. morning. Nobody's waking up to watch Tetsuru Tyra. So um, that actually kind of makes a lot of sense why they would jam that, uh, you know, you got to sell those Fight Pass subscriptions there, Cody. By any means necessary. All right. Finally, we've got uh, Cody Brundage taking on Cedric Dumas. Minus 180 for Brundage. Plus 155 for Dumas. So, like, this one opened up as a pick and the market absolutely smashed Cody Brundage. I feel like you probably, if you didn't get in on Brundage at, like, the early numbers, like, if you didn't beat that steam... Let me just remind you, this guy pulled guard against Rodolfo Vieira last time. Out, or pull, or jumped guillotine, sorry, against Rodolfo Vieira last time out there. He also jumped guillotine. It didn't end up costing him the entire fight, but he did it against Nick Maximov as well and ended up on bottom. So it's like, well, let's call a spade a spade. It's like once you get up to the minus 200 range... 
with him. I mean, the guy's been knocked out. He got knocked out on Contender Series. It's just like you're you're dealing with a guy who has historically made some bad decisions over the course of his UFC career. Watched a cool little interview by uh, MMA Locker Room as well. Um, not many people have Dumas on on their uh, on their programs, and yeah, he kind of gave him like 45 minutes to like talk things through, talk about like how he dealt with like that first loss in the UFC and, and so on and so forth. I, I would suggest you go and check that out if you're into it. Um, you really let him open up. Like it wasn't like, you know, badgering him with questions. He kind of just let the guy talk. Um, and, you know, Dumas has been putting in the time with Phil Rowe down in Florida for this camp. Sounds like he's, you know, focusing a little bit more on his career. Uh, and has gotten some of the other dramas in his life out of it. I mean, at the minus 115, I'm not, you know, I'm not digging at any of the people who got the crazy CLV. I think you did great on that bet. I think Brundage could 100% pressure, uh, get takedowns here, and dominate those positions. On top of it, Brundage trains with Josh Fremd, so it's just like Fremd will... I mean, Fremd was the guy who completely exposed Dumas last time out there. There's a lot of things pointing towards Brundage, but once you get up to this minus 180, it's like I'm more likely actually to take like Dumas inside the distance, I feel like, or that's not that's actually a little bit kind of short. I'm, I'm kind of interested in taking him on the money line just because of of the price here. Um, I think people who got in on Brundage early did really, really well for themselves. I would not suggest taking him at minus 180. The man jumped guillotine against Rodolfo Vieira, Cody. Yeah, bad luck. Bad luck. Bad luck. Yeah, I'm going to agree with a lot of your points, man. So for Cedric Duma, I don't really like the guy too much. And I think he's got some shady personal issues, which glad to hear that he's put things behind him, or at least he's working to rectify some of his, you know, past history issues. But uh, yeah, like he's got some good looking striking in the sense that he's got some power. He's got some flashy stuff. He's been able to topple over weaker, lesser regional scene opponents. He's got an opportunistic submission game, grab a hold of you, put you away. It looks like he's got one of those long athletic builds. He just hasn't really been tested. He won the contender series, comes in as an underdog, gets the win. Now he's got a contract and friend just makes him look awful. And then you and I talked, we joked, you know, Cedric Dumas is a Cedric dumbass because he makes some very questionable decisions at times. We did call him. And against Frem, he gets smoked by Josh Frem. It's a non-competitive fight for the most part. Frem beats him in every aspect. And then after the fight, he loses. He taps out. After the fight, he attempts to fight Josh Frem again. And he, and then at the post-fight, he's like, man, that guy knows I beat him 9 out of 10 times. 9 out of 10 times, he just kicked your ass, man. So how much of that is this guy's delusional? And how much of that is the guy's got good self-confidence, which I love. I love a good self-confidence. He just got smoked by a guy, but you're that confident. You beat him 9 out of 10 times. So I don't want him overlooking Brunridge by no stretch, but He's got a legitimate uh, power to him. You know, I think he, he could hit him and he could hurt him. Not only that, good guillotine choke. Maybe Brunridge shoots a sloppy takedown, puts his head into harm's way. For me, I'm betting all price. I'm betting all price and largely narrative. When you look at Cody Brunridge, um, not a great guy with cardio. I don't think. His contender series fight with William Knight takes him down early, gasses out almost immediately, taking on this big man, and ends up getting TKO'd by uh, William Knight. His fight with Nick Maximoff, terrible fight. They were both gassed out the entire time. His fight with Dolce Lungambula, 
He's getting his ass kicked. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is hurt. He's rock. He's on skates. He's falling over. And he grabs that guillotine choke. It didn't work against Nick Maximov, and it would could not go on to work against Rodolfo Vieira. But against Dolce, it, it happened to work. He happened to snag it up. Fine. But that doesn't take away from the fact that his striking defense is not very good. His durability is not very good. And potentially, his cardio is not all that good. Now, he beats Trishan Gore in the first round, so you don't get to see the cardio. He loses to Mikel Oleksichuk in a fight that he scored three takedowns, and zero significant strikes. He, he he was so scared of striking with him, he was just spamming takedowns. Uh, Prince Michael, who's not very good at getting, uh, uh, you know, grappling for the most part, was able to just get back up, and then as soon as he hit him, he stung him. And as soon as he stung him, he put him down. That's kind of an issue with Brunridge. Brunridge wins the first round against Rodolfo Vieira. He hurts Rodolfo Vieira, and then he just makes a bonehead decision. Was that him tiring? Oftentimes when you think, oh, why did that guy do that? They're tired. They're tired. They're not thinking straight. They're a little bit woozy. They're a little bit wobbled, and then they make that stupid decision. Now he's taking this fight against um, Cedric Dumas on short notice. Taking this thing on like fairly short notice. Mm-hmm. So if his cardio is not good, yeah, maybe he crabs the guillotine choke and maybe he is a much better wrestler. But like if he tires and he gets hit, it's going to be a problem because his durability is not good enough. And Dumas, a guy that even though he may not be all that good, he's just got to stick into this fight long enough to land something. And when he lands something, I think Brunridge goes on skate. So again, if this is a 50 50 fight, man, Brunridge has got a better skill set. Um, He's not plus money. He's like a two to one favorite at this point. And I think it's purely on a lot of money's coming in on him, but it's purely on people just don't like Dumas. They're over him. He's the local Floridian. He trains out of Florida. He fights out of Florida. And I think he gets a knockout. So I don't think he needs the judges, but hopefully he can feed off the crowd or something and, and, you know, you know, feel himself at home. If there's any crowd there at that time in the morning, it's going to be his (laughs) boys. I think he's from yeah, like, like Pen- yeah. I think he's from like the Panhandle or something. I'm don't don't quote me on that. I'm not 100. Sure. I think he's from Pensacola. Yeah, which is in like the Panhandle. So yeah, Roy like Jones close, is the king like, of Pensacola. It's like close to like Alabama, so it's like not the Florida that like most people go to like vacation in. It's part yeah, of Florida. Yeah, right. It's Florida's right. It's Florida. Not all exactly, producer. Not all beaches. Yeah, uh, I'm sure there's some beaches, but they're, yeah, they're not. It's not Miami, I'll tell you that much. But uh, go to Okeechobee, Florida. I've yeah, been there so, three times. So like, so yeah, I, I was kind of like interested in like inside the distance, but it's like it's plus one eighty for Dumas inside the distance. Like, just take the money line. It's only plus one fifty five yeah. if you're gonna if you want to live dangerously. That is not a safe bet by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> the guy could totally and probably will get wrestled and controlled at least early in the fight. It's just, can he hold on? And, uh, you know, he yeah. he was getting ready for Puna Soriano, which I think was going to be an absolute banger and I think probably a harder fight because at least Puna's got Puna Puna's got 10 minutes. Can take minutes. a hell of a punch. And Puna's yeah, got 10 yeah. minutes of, like, he can he can lay it on you for 10 minutes. It's like, can you, can you survive the onslaught? That's what that fight was going to be about. Brundage coming in on super, super short notice. Don't be surprised if he misses weight. And, yeah, I think people who, did, who got in early got that you know, got their minus 110, minus 120, minus 125. I think they did really, really well. Obviously, you beat the market by a mile. You beat it by like 10%. But um, I don't think it's so easy. Like, it, we've seen we've seen holes and issues in Brundage's game. Um, so I'm more aligned to take the underdog in this spot. Uh, so, yeah, Dumas is a guy I'm actually considering, which is, is kind of crazy. Um, well, Santos' decision I'm considering. 
the bets that I have made at this point, Tabitha Ricci minus 125, Neil Magny minus 143. Uh, hit him with the PRP, kid. Yeah, we're going to go this week. It seems a little favorite heavy, but we're going to go with Tapuria. I got some reservations there. And, of course, a live bet, I think, is the way of looking at it. We're going to go with Amanda Hebus. We're going to go with uh, Justin Taffa, Gabriel Santos, Brandon Allen, Neil Magny, Randy Brown, Matus Rebecki. I'm taking Julian Robertson, which is dog number one. Zalga Zumagulov, Trevor Peak, technically dog number two at this point. Jack Jenkins, dog number three. Tetsu Tara and Cedric Dumas dog number four so uh, maybe i will be the dumas for picking him but only time will tell and it's the first fight on the card anyway so whatever it's not going to cost us a whole bunch um yeah yeah you're going to have a couple spring loaded upsets here and there hopefully we can avoid them at the top uh when you think about it it's like well who are your top two and i have a top two you know i could put Tapori at the top but that's a full hedge out because at this line it would just make all the sense in the world to take a little bit of money on Emmett if you could get that far. But I can't put Hebus on the top ticket. Pat Mayo would explain to that one to you if you wanted. Gabriel Santos at minus 230. Man, Onama's not a washover. I don't want to top ticket him. Brandon Allen's got durability issues. Top ticketing him would be tough. You know, I'm not putting Randy Brown or Neil Magny up there because question marks. Reduce Rebecca is in a tough fight. Zalgazuma Gulov, oh, he gets robbed. Trevor Peak is going to be in a fight of the year contender. There's nobody that screams safe. Tatsuya Terra who is supposed to be safe, is fighting a legitimate prospect in Clayton Rodriguez. So it's up to me to buckle down and figure out what pieces make sense where. But then luckily for us, we got a PFL on Friday too. So maybe we can mix match and find something that works. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, no. I mean, and anything that goes to decision, we're in Florida. So it's like, be prepared. <laughs> yeah. Be prepared for the worst because nothing... Nothing good in the world of MMA judging ever comes out of the state of Florida. Like, there is always something horrible. There's always a bad scorecard. Like, Texas, Florida, they do not have good track records by any stretch of the imagination. Some, must be something in the water down there. But anyway, that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Megan and Cody Saptic, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. <laughs>